In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlet Case. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. <laughs> Wayne Bourgeois is one of those ones, uh, he's, uh, he's trickster. Oftentimes within our, our stories and stuff, you'll find like he's always hungry. As much as there's humor in it, but there's also teachings as well. Where I'll, oftentimes when I think of Wayne Bourgeois, it's like uh, the thunderstorm teaching. So when the thunders move in, and it's kind of chaotic here and everything. The wind picks up, there's lots of rain, everything's loud. But as soon as uh, those thunders leave and go on and travel elsewhere, there's that moment of tranquility. There's uh, that moment where time almost seems to stop, where when you go out into the bush, it's very quiet. It's almost surreal when you go out there. And, and that's kind of the teachings of Wainabojo, is that he kind of brings in that little bit of chaos. And then when he leaves, there's that moment of like tranquility and introspection. Um, that's another part of the wintertime too, is uh, we, we talk about introspection, that it's time for us to now look within ourselves during this time. And so that's why stories are very, very important during this time. That's Jack Hogarth, sharing one of many stories of the Anishinaabe spirit, Way Nabojo. This trickster being has many names, Nanabush to some Anishinaabe, Wisakijak if you're Cree like me, or the Raven for the Northwest Coastal Haida. Community friends and families would come together to tell these tales, passing them down through generations and creating wintertime traditions that continue to this day. And since tis the season, let's gather around, get some cocoa on, and share stories and songs for the holidays. Danse Anin Buju. Hello and welcome. This is Unreserved. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. Indigenous people love a good story, especially during the long, cold nights of winter. For Jag Hogarth, the storytelling tradition is a connection to our ancestors. It's very important that we keep these stories going because they instill the values of our people, they instill the morals of our people. And nothing goes better with Coco than singing carols. Green Métis musician Don Amaro has been growing his Christmas show for 15 years now. And for me, it's really just trying to capture the, the, the heart of the season and remind myself that it's not about presents, it's not about what I'm getting, it's really about just being present, you know, pardon the pun. Plus, Eno classical singer Diantha Edmonds enchants with a holiday concert of her own that honors a 200-year-old tradition. And she invited her 13-year-old daughter, Annabelle, along. Singing classical music in Inuktitut with my own daughter, passing on this tradition and celebrating these special musical moments that we share. I really don't even have words for it, to be honest. Today, tis the season for traditions and gathering around songs and stories. 
The soundtrack for the holiday season usually comes from dusty records, CDs, and cassettes on ye old stereo. But for some, it's just not Christmas without an in-person concert. Local holiday shows have become traditions in communities across Turtle Island. In Winnipeg, that means an evening with Don Amaro. Don is a musician, podcaster, and a self-described hard-on-his-sleeve kind of guy. And he's here to wish us a merry little Christmas. Don, welcome to Unreserved. Hey, thanks, Rosanna. Happy to be here. You've been doing your holiday show forever, a merry little Christmas, 12 years now. How much of part of Christmas is this show for you? Well, it's you know, I, 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 it's marked by the by my son, my oldest. My he's he's twelve years old now, and and when my son was born, I did my first show two weeks after, and anybody that was in the audience, there's about a hundred folks there that night, and um, he, uh, him and his mom were still in the hospital, and they weren't able to come to the show. I, I wrestled with the idea of actually still doing the show, and so uh, we got midway through the show, and and in was my wife came, and she was in a wheelchair, and my son was there, and it was like a Christmas miracle. I ran back and held him up, and you know, it was like the birth of my son is you know, it's so funny and and like I was in tears the audience was in tears and it was a real special moment so my kids have always played a part in it for sure and definitely for me this show is is for sure tradition and I love that uh, some folks out there say it's the same for their families as well did you like hold them up like they did in the <laughs> the Lion King Lion King <laughs> little Simba I was I, this is your kingdom my child yeah I, <laughs> all of this is yours um I <laughs> I uh, I was a new father as a first time father so I, you know I, I was too afraid to really know what to do with a kid at that time so I uh, I, was, <laughs> I probably didn't hold them up for everyone to see. <laughs> well, a beautiful image nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Now, take me into a merry little Christmas. How would you describe the experience um, from where you're standing on stage and how it's grown so much in the twelve years? Yeah. Well, I say I say the first official one 12 years ago, but I, I actually started doing a Christmas show, I'd say the better part of 15 years ago now. And I started off in a, a little cafe here in Winnipeg and, you know, there's eight people. And on that night, it was a blizzard. Uh, and so we all kind of had to push people from their cars to get them home and stuff. And um, and now it's, it's you know, we're, we're nearing 700 people coming out to the show and 700 plus, which is a pretty big uh, leap from those early days. You know, it started off as a really like family friendly, it's always family friendly, but family event where my family was was involved and I had my my father-in-law playing bass for me I had my sister-in-law singing along whereas now I've got you know some of the I mean not not that they're not great musicians but I, I hire some of the best musicians in town to come out and and do this with me and it's a, it's a pretty big band there's uh I think eight of us on stage uh local wow. players and uh, and it really is like I, I would say it's if, if an extravaganza of Christmas and and laughter and some serious moments and you know and I you know because of where I come from it's a it's a healthy mix of Jesus and Santa so <laughs> that's that's where I go with it yeah <laughs> put that on a christmas card yeah yeah don a merry Mer- little christmas a healthy dose of jesus and santa yeah <laughs> you know that's why i love winnipeg it's you know this is why we're the heart of turtle island is because you can always get a band together <laughs> uh, yeah honestly there's there's lots of good folks around lots of great players here in winnipeg and i'm glad i, I can call a, a number of them my friends for sure why is it important to you to have um this live community experience of sharing music well, it's interesting because like it, it, it takes a lot. Like we start, I start practicing in September. Uh, I start listening to songs and kind of getting these songs. So I, you know, literally as we just enter the fall, I'm already in Christmas mode, which kind of drives some people around here a bit crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I start listening. And, um, and for me, it's really just about, um, trying to, 
capture the the heart of the season and what it's really about and remind myself that that it's not about presence it's really about just being present you know pardon the pun uh mm. with with each other you know at this time of year and i think i use this show as a bit of a reminder for myself but also for the audience and and i always say this show is an investment for me i i have yet to make money on this show not that we need to get too much into the financials of it but it's a, it's a big cost it costs a lot to you know hire the band and you know bring some additional lighting and the, the pr behind it all the stuff that we do even though it's grown quite exponentially since I started, it's still a, a, an investment for me where I feel like I'm investing in my audience, but also investing in the Don Amaro brand of what I do. So, um, and I think people are really keen on that message of, of hope and, uh, you know, it's investing in hope, I guess. That's what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And that makes you a gift, Don Amaro. Well, I... <laughs> Speaking of presents. <laughs> yeah, I, I try... This year's actually, you know, not to um, give too much away, but like this year's starting off a little bit heavy. I think it's usually we, we start off with a big sort of celebratory whatever, but, you know, I'm, as an artist, I'm always trying to respond to the weight of things sometimes. And this year, you know, when we look around the globe and what's going on around the world mm-hmm. and uh, right here at home and, and with uh, inflation and sort of the, the, the disparity between those that have and those that have not, I really feel that this year. I think so many of us do. So I'm starting off the show this year a little bit more of a, I think, uh, an emotional uh, start to the show just to really kind of set the tone and, and, and remind people that even in the midst of all this craziness and all that's going on in the world, there's still love, there's still joy, there's still hope and to not forget those things. And that's really important to to remember, particularly at this time of year. Um, you know, as a kid, I remember the the season being kicked off by decorating the tree with with my mom and my siblings, and you know, getting that Sears catalog out and flipping through the pages <laughs> and circling all the things I wanted. What was Christmas like for you as a kid? Well, it's funny because my kids love story time at the end of the night. And so we read a couple of books, but they also are so excited to hear stories of me when I was younger. And and one I've been reminding my kids of lately is my brother and I, we were pretty mischievous. And this is not new. I'm sure a lot of people did this, but we would go and find our presents and we would literally like (laughs) secretly open them up. And and then I started telling my kids like, look, I ruined my Christmases a couple of times by doing that because it was like, you know, you, you have to pretend that you've never seen this present before. And so uh, it really was, you know, my brother and I were just too, too excited to get there. And then, you know, like, it was kind of a bummer, because, you know, we wake up Christmas morning, and there'd be no surprises. And, mm. but yeah, really, it was um, for my early years, you know, up until I was about 12, it was really a, a fun family time for us. Like, my parents both worked, my dad was a day job guy, my mom was a night job person. And so, really the holiday season was the one time of year where everybody was kind of together that I that I you know that comes to mind and so for me it's a lot of nostalgia there and I try to offer that same sense of traditions for my kids and and uh giving them a lot of that I I guess it's really just that that hope and love just to let that be the big feeling of the season Mm. did you um as a musician and a musical kind of family did you sit around and sing Christmas carols you know, I, I wish we did. You know, it's funny because my, my mom and dad both played and sang, but, but it was not really a lot of Christmas, again, not, not to my memory, uh, not a lot of Christmas carols and stuff like that, which is strange because you'd think in a musical home, you'd, that'd be part of it, but it wasn't really. And, and sadly, it hasn't really been part of mine, but let me go back. We did it last year. I, I, I impromptu, I pulled up my guitar at Christmas and there was, you know, 15 kids and 10 adults and we didn't plan it. It just sort of happened and it was, it was quite beautiful. Um, I was looking up chord charts and stuff and trying to play songs and uh, it was a really sweet moment that I, I hope to recreate with a little more intentionality this year. Mm. Is there a song that, um, that you would play or hear during this time of year that, that evokes that holiday 
feeling for you? You know, I mean, it's always Silent Night. I, I did my own sort of version a bunch of years ago. I mean, I know that's a bit of a cliche answer, but Silent Night always does it for mm. me. And then here's another one. This is a classic one for me. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it's Thistle Hair, the Christmas Bear. <laughs> my folks would play that song on record when I was growing up. And for some reason, that song always brings me back. I, I still know some of the melody that I, you know, to this day that, that stays with me. And my mom will still be like, putting up her decorations around her house and still humming the tune. and So yeah, that one really sticks out for me for sure. Well, let's see if we can find that in our playlist. Yeah. It's... Uh, CBC playlist. Do we have Thistle Bear? What was it? Thistle the what? <laughs> Thist- thistle Hair the Christmas Bear. Right. Let's sing along, shall we? Thistle Hair the Christmas Bear. Thistle hair, the Christmas bear, spreading the good news everywhere about Christmas time and what it means for all the children of the world, for every little boy and girl out there. Nice. Loves thistle hair. Love yeah. it. That was probably not the best performance. I probably sold less tickets doing that right now, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's the song. <laughs> oh, thistle hair, the Christmas bear. Spreading the good news everywhere About Christmas time and what it means To all the children of the world Every little boy and girl out there And that was Thistle Hair, the Christmas Bear by Alabama. My guest is Don Amaro of the annual Amaro Little Christmas Concert here in Winnipeg. Don says this time of year has been particularly difficult for many. And in tough times... He always turns to music. This is not a new phrase that I've been using. It's it's one I've, for the last, probably the better part of a decade now, been saying music is medicine. And I feel like it's really important to administer the kind of music that lifts your spirit, especially in a hard time. Mm. And um, I've got a number of songs that I often go to or artists that I've been, uh, that I that I find and just sort of sets the tone for me to either lift me out of a, a dark state of mind or um, when the world's feeling heavy, I put on that kind of music. And yeah, I think I think it really it's just about using the music as a tool to help. Definitely, I would say it's very med- medicinal. Mm. And speaking of medicinal, you have a podcast. I wasn't informed. Where was my memo? Right. <laughs> well, you know, we we uh, we've we tried to spread the word as best we could, and we we've actually taken a bit of a reprieve. We've paused for the last few months just while I right. kind of get some some things in order on my end. But yeah, I started a podcast called Through the Fire, where I sit down with some pretty amazing people who have been through some pretty serious things in their life. You know, we've all gone through things and um, hence the name Through the Fire. It's it's about, you know, the fires that people have faced in their life. And um, and I've had, we've had talks about, you know, suicide. We've had oh. talks about addiction. We've had talks about sexual violence and abuse. And, you know, and I'm not a counselor. I'm just a friend listening. And pretty profound conversations being had there that uh, I'm really honored to be on the other side of receiving some of those stories and, and how people got through them. And I hope to pick it up again. Uh, definitely, it's something I've got in mind for 2024. And I've got a few guests already sort of uh, waiting in the wings to, to be on the show. So uh, looking forward to that. Well, that sounds amazing. Why is it important for you to have these conversations with people talking about the hard stuff? Mm. Well, I mean, like I, I'm, you know, as you mentioned in the intro, a hard on my sleeve kind of guy. I've always been that guy that that shares the struggle and shares the honest truths of the joys and the sorrows. And and then I started realizing, wait a second, everybody's got their story. Everybody's got the things that they've been through, um, you know, and I can only tell my story so many times before it starts feeling a bit redundant to me. 
so I thought, what if, what if creating a platform to amplify the stories of others? And that's where Through the Fire was born. And, and just, just, you know, folks trusting me with these conversations is pretty beautiful. And, um, you know, we always say to the people that we have on the show is like, look, if there's anything you say that you want off the record and you don't want shared, we're happy to take it off. It's really just an opportunity to highlight whatever stories they want to share. And it's honestly, it's been really, really beautiful for, from my perspective. And, and for a few folks out there that were listening, I've heard some really kind words back about uh, what they've heard too. Mm. Um, why do you think it's important to have these conversations in terms of like what happens, you know, when, when you have these conversations with someone and they open up about this tough stuff mm. in their lives, um, whether it's through music or, or, you know, other, under other venues, what happens to that relationship between you when you're, when you're talking to them? Yeah, I mean, I I think it solidifies our relationship for sure. I think the people that I've sat with in the in this context, I think our relationship goes a bit deeper. And and these are people I m- might see once, twice, three times a year, but I think this connection of having these deeper conversations really does solidify something between us. And I think you know that's really helped me actually take that into more of my friendships as well and just really sort of become a, a more intent listener. And the other thing too is I think for the listeners out there of the podcast who've been listening in, I think it helps them know that that, that the pain or struggles or things that they're going through, they're not alone. Um, it just sort of unifies us in a way. Mm. Connecting community is a very important part of many Indigenous, you know, storytellers, music, musicians, singer songwriters whatever the the case may be um mm-hmm. um and of course we want to play one of your amero little christmas songs which one should we play yeah i was thinking about this i mean i've got a couple that i've written over the years and one that i keep coming back to is one called christmas time there's there's like 10 different songs called christmas time out there <laughs> and i wrote one um and uh, and this christmas time is really just about it's kind of wishing everybody well wishing them a great season and it's sort of again the heart of don amero at this time of year is, is in this song well don it's been a pleasure catching up with you always a pleasure to chat thank you Don Amaro is a musician, podcaster, and the heart of Amaro Little Christmas. Here's Don with Christmas Time. Merry Christmas, everyone. May your hearts be filled with love. The excitement's everywhere. Keep the magic in the air. That's Don Amaro with Christmas time. This is Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, Sirius XM, U.S. Public Radio, and Native Voice 1. I'm Rosetta Deerchild, the cousin who always gives the gift of warm socks. Today, get out the eggnog and shortbread cookies. We got stories and songs to celebrate holiday cheer. Coming up, we'll hear more from our friend Jack Hogarth. We have long nights during this time of year, and so... The sun goes down around four or five o'clock, and uh, for three or four hours, um, traditionally you'd be kind of all together in one unit, and uh, you tell stories. And later, oh holy night, the Inuktitut version. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Kaska Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened 
and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlick Case. Available now. There's something special about a snowy night, the silence and calm where everything seems at rest. For the Anishinaabe, this is a time to come together and honor the tradition of storytelling. Stories interlaced with joy, hardships, and humor have always been a way to instill traditional knowledge into younger generations. Winter, when the earth is at rest, is the time when stories about spiritual beings like the trickster Wayne Bojo can be shared. It's an important responsibility to be a storyteller, one that Jack Hogarth is still growing to understand. So there's a few things with that. And so when um, we open ourselves up, we, we end up using our language first. So everything within that language, um, when I introduced myself, I, I told you like what my spirit name is, which is Mayingan. Um, went on later to tell you what clan I am, and then also through the 60s scoop with my mother, um, we take our clan from our mother's side, so also honoring that clan. And then uh, talked a little bit about where I'm from. So my English name is Jack Hogarth. I come from uh, Burley Falls. Uh, Curve Lake First Nation, and on my mother's side, I come from Old Crow Yukon and Fort McPherson Northwest Territories. So there, there's a few reasons why we, we come together to tell stories, especially in the wintertime. Um, we believe when the snow hits the ground that everything is resting, um, especially the spirits, that, that they're at rest. Um, Ashkok McQuaid, our, our mother, the earth, she's resting. She's put on the, that white uh, sheet over top of herself and is kind of essentially sleeping. We kind of tell these stories because we believe that part of these stories is when we mention certain spirits' names, that they'll actually come, like it's almost like we're calling them. So at this time of year, when everything's sleeping, we, we're kind of free to speak about those spirits' names. Another part of it, and the more kind of like practicality version or the logistical side of it, is that we have long nights during this time of year. And so the sun goes down around four or five o'clock and uh, for three or four hours, um, traditionally you'd be kind of all together in one unit and uh, you tell stories. That's why we have so many stories about Nanabush and the spirits. But also on top of that, it was kind of um, giving our children, uh, instilling identity within our children. It was also a, a means of to instill the morals and values of our people within them through storytelling. And so storytelling is very big amongst the Anishinaabe, um, particularly in the wintertime. These stories I'm going to be talking about, and this is our, our source of credibility and always giving back to where these stories came from, is uh, a lot of these stories that I'm going to tell today come from uh, a Sinequa or Enemetawabi. Onabanese or Jim Dumont and um, Anishinaabe Nene or Merritt Taylor and so uh, it's always important to give credit where credit is due. So now that we we kind of have transitioned and we live in this contemporary world where we live in these nuclear housing um, 
We're kind of separated from our grandparents or the elders of the village and, and such. So sometimes you don't hear these stories um, quite often unless you actually go out and spend time with those elders. But uh, it's very important that we keep these stories going because, as I mentioned before, they, they instill the values of our people. They instill the morals of our people. Um, the, these stories just aren't stories just that we randomly tell. They're, there's teachings within it. And so we call it Adazokan. Adazokan talks about like a teaching, essentially, about like a sacred story. And so that's what we, we basically engage within in wintertime, is that we, we engage within Adazokan. Um, sometimes there, there's another form of storytelling that's called the Bajmo Win. And so the Bajmo Win is more like uh, your own personal stories. But uh, in saying that, that's my interpretation. And so it's very important we, we carry on that tradition of storytelling. Um, even though we are in this contemporary world, we can still gather as people, um, pass on these stories. Because our, our youth are, are hungry for this. Um, I, when I worked in Curve Lake, I, I witnessed this, was that our people are very, very hungry for this. Even here at Trenton University, I see it a lot, is that the students are so hungry to know who they are. One of the things that we're always taught is to walk, not to run. Am Guam is in, like be determined and move forward with beauty and strength, but also kind of like take your time. Like there, there is no need to rush. And so uh, that's one of the things that we have to remind ourselves too, is that everything will come together in time. I believe it was Anishinaabe or uh, Merritt Taylor talks about this teaching, is that um, if you look at yourself and we have a fire burning within us um, and we're trying to learn the identity of who we are, sometimes that flame is just like a little flicker, like that fire is just starting. And so we don't want to overburden our, our people with a, a three-day creation story. Because if we sit down for three days, we don't want to discourage them. Like that, that story or that teaching can almost be compared to a log. If you're to throw that log onto someone's fire that's just starting to burn, it's going to snuff it out. And they're going to be kind of intimidated and they won't want to come back around. So I think a lot of people get frustrated by this, is that a lot of our elders is basically, basically or essentially, Anishinaabe pedagogy, is that we just give little tidbits at a time. Um, you'll go and visit, and you'll you'll hear a different version of the creation story. You'll hear a different part of the creation story that all of a sudden you'll grasp onto. And uh, you may hear the creation story ten times, but on that tenth time, you may hear something different that you didn't capture those other nine times. So uh, we're very cautious about that, especially in this day and age, is that uh, we, we only show a little bit at a time and, and kind of grow with that person. I think... Um, one of the major responsibilities is not to gatekeep. I think that's huge, and uh, I'm seeing a little bit more often in our communities, is that a lot of people will kind of gatekeep these stories, or oftentimes money comes involved, too. And uh, in the words of Winston Bunn and Anishinaabe Nene, when, uh, whenever money comes into ceremony, that's our biggest red flag to turn around and walk the opposite way. What, what does it mean to be Anishinaabe? And so to me, through hearing our, our stories and our teachings and seeing that life kind of being brought back to our people and being brought back to our communities, that was so rewarding to see um, that that's when I, I truly felt like that was the work I was supposed to do in life. When we're taught as people or as Anishinaabe, 
This is knowledge for everyone, that we are not to charge for it. This is something that we are taking the responsibility of, of carrying forward. We're, we're to pass this on. If we don't pass it on, then it's going to be taken with us. So that's the one thing I was always taught is that, yes, there, there are certain things that we may keep a, a little bit to ourselves, especially when it comes to like our societies and stuff. Um, but for the majority of the part, um, when it comes to teachings or especially stories, like I said, it's, that knowledge belongs to everybody. Just not Nishnaba, it belongs to the people, um, to humankind. And it goes back to our creation story of why that belongs to humankind and just not Nishnaba. Jack Hogarth is the chair of Anishinaabe Knowledge at Trent University in Peterborough, Ontario. He is Anishinaabe and Gwich'in. This is Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, Sirius XM, U.S. Public Radio, and Native Voice 1. I'm Rosanna Deerchild, holder of the Family Heirloom Potato Masher. Today, we are bringing the holiday spirit to you with traditional winter stories and songs. Picture an old church with a vaulted ceiling. It's a wintry December night. There are Christmas trees covered in bright lights and evergreen wreaths. And the choir is decked out in silipak, a traditional Inuit hooded shirt. Then a beautiful sound arises. That's from a Christmas concert in St. John's, Newfoundland. It took place at the First Light Friendship Centre, an old converted church. Songs and Stories of Christmas in Labrador honors a 200-year-old Inuit tradition, a tradition led by the world's only Inuk professional classical soloist and opera singer, Diantha Edmonds. She sang alongside her 13-year-old daughter, Annabelle Edmonds Ramsey. Diantha, Annabelle, welcome to Unreserved. Thank you. We're so happy to be be here to chat with you today. Yeah. Well, it's good to chat with you again, Diantha. Um, and we just heard a clip from the concert, Songs and Stories of Christmas in Labrador. How did you learn about this tradition of singing Christmas carols in Inutitut? Well, my late father, Albert Edmonds, came from Hopedale in uh, Nunatsiavut, the ancestral homelands of Labrador Inuit. And when I was growing up, every Christmas Eve, he would sing uh, certain Christmas carols to us in Inuktitut, such as Oak Christmas Tree and Silent Night. And uh, he described for us the Christmas Eve service at the Moravian Church in Hopedale, where they, uh, where the children would hold apples that are cored and have candles inside them. And as they sing Christmas carols. And I just always thought that was such, sounded so beautiful. And so that was, that was how I first learned about this, this choral tradition and how special it was when my father was growing up. And why is it important for you to continue this tradition? Well, it's so so important to me to share that in Labrador, traditional music isn't just throat singing and drumming. To Labrador Inuit, classical, sacred music, choral music, stringed instruments, brass instruments, those are also traditional to Labrador Inuit. It's something so unique that we're very proud of. This music is is in our ancestry. Um 
And, you know, I believe that Labrador Inuit truly have a gift for music because of that. And we're just so happy to be able to share those traditions. And that's something that we, um, that we share, that you shared with me back in March when we last spoke. And you told us about the, the hymns and Christmas songs that missionaries brought over to Labrador. How does it feel sharing those with the, with a larger audience? It feels so special um, because, as I said, uh, it's something Labrador Inuit are so proud of. And, I mean, music always brings people together. You know, it's such a great way to release our emotions and to celebrate, especially Christmas music, you know. So it felt really great to to sing before that full audience to some urban Inuit who are originally from Labrador, to non-Indigenous people from lots of different places in the world who were in attendance. And uh, it just felt great to give them a little glimpse into Labrador Inuit uh, music traditions. Mm-hmm. Annabelle, which songs did you sing at the concert? I sang Posiana with Mason Dicker and Nutara Soki Manuel, which is a duet I sang with my mom. And I sang Silent Night in Inuktitut with Mason and my mom. And how did it feel up there singing those songs? It felt amazing singing them. I love singing with both of them. Oh, what do you love about singing? What I like is that it's a way to express myself. Like if I'm having a bad day, I can make music and it just makes me feel better. And I put everything I have into my music. Mm, that's beautiful. Much like your mama, hey? Yeah. <laughs> Deantha, what do you remember about when Annabelle started to sing? Well, I'm so glad you asked that Mm -hmm. um, because Annabelle started singing as a an infant. And that is absolutely 100 percent true. Um, When she was just three and four months old, we would know when she woke up in the morning because we could hear on the baby monitor her humming and singing to herself, lying in her crib, just gently singing, making sounds, you know, using different parts of her voice. And uh, we just thought how fortunate and blessed we are to have this this singing infant, (laughs) uh, this happy singing baby. Um, and when we would put her in her crib at night, she would we would just turn off the light, say good night, baby, close the door, and then we'd hear her singing away to herself as she drifted off into dreamland. So she's been singing more that longer than she talked. Oh, I love that. Do you remember um, having those memories at all, Annabelle? I don't, but I've seen a bunch of videos and pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Video and pictures. Ah, it's there forever now. (laughs) Uh, Deantha, you sang Oh Holy Night in Inutitut for the first time at the concert. What was uh, that experience like for you? Oh, it felt so good. Um, I, I, oh, oh, Holy Night was, you know, always my special solo, you know, at Christmas uh, recitals and concerts and, and sometimes at church. Um, when I was growing up as a teenager and uh, I would, whenever I came home from university or from when I, you know, was living away from home at Christmas time, I would always sing it for my family. My sister would play piano. My brother would play guitar. Um, when I'd visit my grandmother at the seniors home, I would sing it for her and the other residents. Um, so it's, and, and I just love singing it. It's such a powerful piece. But this year when I got the, Inuktitut translation, it just 
it made me so happy because I felt like it came from an even deeper place. So, of course, now I will always sing it in Inuktitut. Mm, oh, I love that. I, I, I imagine it sounds just uh, ethereal and, and beautiful. Yeah, it, it is. It's really powerful. Yeah. And you also sang, as Annabelle mentioned, uh, a duet with uh, with her. What does it feel like to sing alongside your daughter? Well, we've been doing it for, you know, she's 13, so we've been doing it for almost 13 years. Mm-hmm. But to be able to do it in a recital setting uh, does feel wonderful because, you know, singing in this language that my father grew up speaking, singing classical music in Inuktitut with my own daughter, you know, passing on this tradition and uh, celebrating these special musical moments that we share. Um, you know, there's, I really don't even have words for it, to be honest. Uh, what about for you, Annabelle? What's it like to sing alongside your mom on a stage in, in, you know, in, f- in front of a huge audience like this? It feels amazing to sing with my mom. Well, she's my inspiration for all the music that I do, so it feels great. And she was my first music teacher, and I've just always sung with her, and it just feels amazing. Does it feel different for you to sing in Inuktitut as opposed to English? Not really. No? <laughs> I like singing in Inuktitut because not many people know the language, so they get a chance to hear, and it brings more awareness to the Inuit culture. Yeah, absolutely, and that's important. Why do you think it's important to keep that tradition alive? Because it's another it's another way to express ourselves again, and I'm very proud to sing in the language. Oh, and I'm sure you sing it beautifully. Um, Diantha, I understand that you had a really wide age range in your choir. Why was that important for you to have a range of of people in there? That's true. Um, so this was the second year that we uh, put together the St. John's Urban Inuit Community Choir. So the choir was made up uh, this year of of over 30 people, Inuit, living here in St. John's. And our youngest chorister was six years old. And we had university students. Of course, Annabelle is in junior high, all the way up to to elders uh, here in the city that grew up with this tradition. Um, And to me, it's really important that we do have that wide range of ages, that intergenerational gift of singing together. Because as one of the elders uh, sent me a message after the concert and said, participating in this choir really brought her back to her childhood memories of going to church and hearing her Anansiak, her grandmother singing in the church choir, and just how close she felt to those memories. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it was so beautiful to to for her to express that to me. And uh we sang three Christmas carols. We sang Ati Ukbitusi, which is O Come All Ye Faithful. We sang Surutsit Haititsi, which is O Come Little Children, and we ended the whole program off with Napatuli, which is O Christmas Tree. And uh they sang so beautifully, Rosanna. I mean, I said to them during the rehearsals and actually in the concert itself, I said, when we're preparing this music and performing these beautiful Christmas songs, um, it's not about being competitive. It's not about who can sing the strongest, who knows the language the best, who's got it memorized, who's the most expressive. I stressed how 
important it is that we enjoy this experience of raising our voices together, how breathing together, you know, being mindful of where we're breathing, how we're breathing, what intentions and emotions we're releasing on our voices as a group, how special it is to feel that pride together and to, um, you know, uplift the audience and to spread peace and joy, especially Especially this time of year, I, I really made sure that they had that in mind when they were singing. And let me tell you, they sounded absolutely beautiful. Oh, I'm sure they did sound absolutely beautiful. Um, Annabelle, what was your favorite part of, of, of the concert and singing with your mom? My favorite part of the concert was was the duet that me and my mom sang because it's singing with my mom and that's very special to me and that song is so joyful and I love singing it. Hmm. Diantha what kind of um, things did you hear from the audience who were there to to listen to this beautiful you know tradition? Well you know the audience were really touched there were a lot of people in the audience who were very moved by the music and by the people performing it. It wasn't just us uh, as soloists and the choir. We also had um, a beautiful violinist uh, named Kendra Jock, who's from Makovic, who's studying music at Memorial University and has plans to go back to the North Coast to teach music um, when she graduates. So she played some solos and we also brought uh, Darlene Hallwell, who's a trumpet player from the Nain Brass Band. So she flew in from the community of Nain in Nunatsiavut, and she played uh, some solos. And for our final piece, Napatuli, O Christmas Tree, Kendra and Darlene also played um, as the choir sang. So it was just the the music being made was so rich and and joyful and warm. And I talked to the choir also about how this is what our ancestors 200 years ago, this is the music they made. These are the instruments they used. And these are the words they sang, you know, 200 years ago. How incredible that that is to, mm. to feel in our bodies, you know, uh, in our emotions and, and together yeah. as a group. Um, it yeah, it was it was really special, and I'm so proud and so honored that First Light invited me to curate this this concert last year and this year, and it's really truly becoming an annual tradition. One of the elders told me that um, this is her, her this is the tradition she looks forward to the most during the year. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and finally. Would either or both of you like to send uh, a Christmas message out into the world? Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm sending out so much peace and joy and love to our family and our friends who live all across the world, wishing that we could, you know, be closer together, but being grateful for the bonds that we share, sending out thanks to all of our ancestors as well, who led us to this place in our life and yeah. to the gifts that they have given us. What else? Any Christmas message from you, Annabelle? No. <laughs> no, just how happy we are um, to be who we are, where yeah. we are, and do what we do. Thank you both for spending this time with me today. Nakumik.
Thank you. And happy holidays. Same to you. Deantha Edmonds and her daughter, Annabelle Edmonds Ramsey, joined me from their home in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, where they're staying cozy for the holiday season. That's all our time on Radio Indigenous. We leave you today with this song from Deantha Edmonds. This is O Holy Night in Inutitut, performed at Songs and Stories of Christmas in Labrador. Happy holidays from my family to yours. This episode was produced by Rhiannon Johnson, Kim Kasher, Laura Bone Steubing, and Zoe Tennant. Find more on our website at cbc.ca slash unreserved, on the CBC Listen app, or your favorite pod places. I'm your favorite cousin, Rosanna Deerchild, coming at you from Winnipeg in Treaty 1 territory.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.